Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. I want to go very briefly tonight on tools that build relationships. Maybe some years back we may have covered this with couples here. I'm not sure. Tools that build relationships. And we think, why are these times so necessary when we are growing in our relationships as believers in the body of Christ? And 1 Peter chapter 3 is giving guidelines. The first six verses is instruction to the woman. I'm not going to deal with that because there are many, many things there. The woman is responsible for right actions. There in verse 1, for a proper adoration of her husband, for proper adornment, for maintaining a proper attitude, and for paying attention to her husband, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord, and then she has her part in answered prayer. They're according to uh, verses 6 and 7. But I'm going to focus on verse 7. The instruction to a man. And the instruction that God gave to a man for his responsibility with his mate is the tool bag that God put for building every single relationship that we have. It's a given That a husband has to do this with his wife. But it is also a given that a believer has to do it with his Lord, with his mate, with his children, with his friends, with his Christian folks. What are the tools in this tool bag to build proper, strong relationship? We'll take the pattern from the husband. Likewise, verse 7, ye husbands dwell with them. Tool number one is the tool of time. Isn't it strange you married him, now live with him? That seems kind of awkward. Dwell with him. You remember in Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 5 what the instruction was when a man married under Mosaic law? Do you remember what was required of him under Mosaic law? What was it? He shall be free at home for one year. Not go to war, which is a good dual application. And, well, it kind of does, doesn't it? (laughs) He shall not go to war. And he shall be free at home for one year to do what? Cheer up the wife that he had taken. You stop to think. Go to your boss tomorrow morning. Say, I'm getting married. I'll see you a year from now. And uh, you can pretty well guess what the result would be of that. But remember, they didn't marry like we marry. Today, normally, let's say a, a girl goes off to Bible college or somewhere and, and a guy goes off to Bible college and within that first year or two, they start to glance at each other and maybe have a soda there in the snack shop and then say, uh, well, how about visiting my family Christmas? And so you go and then the next year or, or maybe the next holiday, go to visit her family and visit his family and then you kind of get to know each other and then it, it builds and builds. Well, they didn't do it like that. Mom and dad decided time for the boy to get married. Get the camel, go to the mall. The boy is at home praying and fasting, wondering what was coming home on that camel. And uh, that might not be exactly how it was, but you get the point. It wasn't like today. And so when they did marry, he had one job, and that was to cheer his wife. But you know what that took? Time. It took time. And you know what we, we fight for in this generation? We fight for time. Time to be together. The security of a wife, in many cases, is knowing that her husband wants to spend time with her. And you know, when you look at that 
uh, application. It takes that kind of time to settle that relationship. And, and we as men normally don't think that way. But a wife is very conscious of, does my husband really want to spend time with me? And as you look at the application there, you begin to realize how valuable that is. Now, when we look at believer to believer, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Why? Because we need time together as a body of believers. I cannot emphasize enough how impressed Charlene and I with the fact that a church makes time. It's not convenient for anybody. But when you make time, okay, we will die to ourselves for this period of time to go. We know the kids will enjoy it, but it's not a convenient time for us. Who's going to take care of the dogs and who's going to do this and who will come and check on that and who's going to water the flowers and who is going to... And you say, no, let's go. And you know what? You pull your trailers in and you, you come in and you get settled and you sit down to the first meal and fellowshipping and laughing together because you don't often do that. And many times pressures come so you don't have time. And we have to make the time for that. And if we don't, you can get into some real issues. As you fail to spend time. It's same of a father-son relationship. I remember our son Stephen, I think, maybe about 14 years old. And I had taught him the climbing uh, climbing business. And he was doing it as a 14-year-old. But a lot of guys quit over when we were training them to climb over power. When we were taking his big elms down. And, and I was, to, a new hires, I was to be uh, a, a part of training that new climber. But Stephen went 14 years old. We, I mean, we loved to be together. But I was driving with Stephen one time, and I said, Stephen, I'm going to ask a question. What don't you like about me? I said, please be honest. Don't be afraid to hurt my feelings. I want to know. What don't you like about me? And he said, there's nothing I don't like about you. I said, Stephen, you can be honest. And he said, Dad, there is nothing I don't like. He said, well, you are gone a lot. And boy, you're carrying a title and you're carrying a responsibility and you're thinking your mind is on a budget to how you're going to house and feed and, and 50 and then up to 100 staff and families and insurance. And, and then you're going out You're When people are going on their jogging machine Saturday morning, you're already sitting in an airport departure area. Then you get back late Sunday night or early Monday morning to get back in time for chapel. And there comes times when I said, okay, uh... I said, Stephen, I'll change that. I tried to drop as many meetings as I could ethically. And when I realized I either stopped doing what I was doing to make that time or to come up with an alternative. So I took him out of school for a year. I said, Stephen, I'm going to take you out of school for a year and you're going to travel with me. We'll get time. We were in Israel together at the Wailing Wall. He liked that one way better than the one we had in our house in Dunbar. And because uh, I used to have him. When I was counseling him, lay over the bed with his arms like this uh, when I was doing the nuthetic counseling. And uh, so he liked that wailing one way, way better. But we had some tremendous memories. But I felt a tremendous guilt as a dad. What was I doing with my time? When I see these young people and moms and dads do not, do not violate making time. For those things. That's why this is so valuable. Why do you think they look forward to so long getting here to camp? Yes, you can ride bikes. And yes, you can do this. And yes, you can super. But you know what's big? A family is together for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Time. Time. How valuable is that to us? 
How valuable do you see your being together with a body of believers on Sunday and then a body of believers during the week sometime or even your small study groups or whatever it is because we have to have that time. Charlene and I were doing a family camp at Northland and I think there were about 90 or 95 family units which meant there were about 500 campers there and it was fine for us because we were just a mile away and uh, in fact we might have even still been living on campus because we lived on campus there for 19 years and we had uh, the the uh, families together and just a wonderful time but uh, any of you know any the Pegram family from here from Iowa Dennis and Ina Pegram I know they were from Iowa well every year they would make their family reunion because three of their kids worked on our summer staff and Josh Pegram was our music director for two or three summers so they would bring the other children they had nine children and they would bring the other children and spend the week in family reunion at Northland and Northland camp and Josh was not I mean Mr. Pegram was not a a preacher he was a businessman and he had a passion for souls very brilliant businessman and uh, he came to me Monday morning. And he said, last you realize there are about five unsaved people that I know of at camp this week. He said, I went and introduced myself to all the families and where are you from and et cetera. When did you come to know the Lord? He said, there were at least five that I talked to that I believe are not, are not believers. They came with family. And he said, just be aware of that when you're speaking this week. And I, I said, thanks. And I, I made a point to mingle and Charlene and I would always mingle with the families, but particularly some that I, I thought I really need to introduce myself and get to know. And uh, and so on Thursday night, he came and asked me, he said, have you talked to any of those families yet? I said, yes, I have. And I had a message preached for, prepared for Thursday night. And then I was going out the door. Charlene will remember. Remember I told you, honey, I'm switching my whole message tonight. I'm going to preach on the topic of time. And I started with this text on dwell with them, using the tool of time and taking advantage of time when we have our families together. Because when you blink, your family's gone. Our children are grown. We have ten grandchildren, five great-grandchildren, and they're scattered from Dan to Beersheba. You know, you blink, and, and that time is gone. You think, how could I claim some of that back? How could I have done something differently? How could I have been better management of my time? And so I went, I took my ruler, and I have a ruler, I click a ruler down, and out to 36 inches, I said, each inch on the ruler will represent two years of life. And I said, this is the allotted time that God gives us in life. You know, the old carpenter rulers. And I said, here's how much time you had when you were born by God's allotted time. Three score and ten. I said, I clicked the six inches down. I said, childhood is gone. I said, now you're in junior high, going into high school. You get out of high school, you go to college or get into your profession. And I said, click. Now you're 24 years old. You're already out of college, perhaps, or moving on to your next phase of study in college. Or you have been now for six years in your job or in your profession. I clicked 36 inches. I said, now life is half gone. And a man that that come to know the Lord through the reference of a of a eye doctor friend of ours, and uh, he said, I, "I want to talk to that guy." So this guy, who was about the third largest logging operator 
in the United States at that time. He invited me out to meet him at his deer camp. He had he had only 17,000 acres at that particular plot, and he had built this huge, the logs that he built, they selected off their logging jobs, these huge white pines. They were about three logs to a wall. Beautiful, beautiful camp. He said, he said, Les, I want you to come out. He said, I have 12 millionaire friends who are retired. They're afraid to die, but are too proud to admit it. When he came to know the Lord, he was burdened that they hear the gospel. So we went out, out to the deer camp. We had been there before. I had, but Charlene hadn't. So we pulled in and there's 500,000 million dollar motor homes with the $60,000 Jeep behind it and so on. And Charlene said, we are in the wrong place. I said, we're going to get you this one too. And we went in. He had a big meal fixed for everybody. We had a great time. Then he said, I brought my buddy here. I want him to tell us what's coming next. I pulled out that ruler and I got down to that next click, down to now you're 48. And the lady sitting next to my wife said, stop, this is getting scary. I said, some of you better be scared. You're off the end of the ruler already by, by, the, by the looks of it. And I clicked it again. Now I'm 60 and I held it up that last six inches. I said, life is a dash between dates. You go to a cemetery. I was preaching at a church. I got there a little early. I pulled into the cemetery near the church and I looked at tombstones. Birth date, dash, date of death. Some very, very short lives. Some long lives. But that dash between dates represented everything that was life. And I said, so here in the dash between dates, what is determined during that time, during that dash we call life? Well, I preached that night on this topic of time. And then Dennis Pegram had organized as this family camp. He was. He said, we're going to get all the families together. We're going to have a family basketball tournament. Bring the kids, husband, wives. Uh, we're, we're meeting at the gym after lunch, about one o'clock or so. And he said, bring, we're going to have an afternoon of family basketball tournaments. And he was a runner. He was a jogger. He was, uh, so he was all excited about getting this this basketball tournament going. And there was an unsaved man, a young cop from Illinois, Chicago, Illinois area. He had come up and he, he told his wife, this is the stupidest thing I believe I've ever heard of, paying money to go and get preached to for a week. But his sister-in-law or his wife's sister and brother-in-law or something talked him into coming to camp. He was there. There's a man I called Nanook from the north, from southern Wisconsin. He had a huge, big, bushy beard. He was there, not saved. But he said, "Come, I, I want to be with my family at family camp. I don't want them going without me, but I don't, I'm not into this. As some others that I had met along the way. And as they got the basketball tournament going, Charlene's brother and sister-in-law came up for family camp. And we were going up to look at antique shops along the way up into Iron Mountain, Michigan and and uh, we were starting to come back, and my phone rings, and Tim Corey, or Barb Corey, dear friends of ours, called and said, uh, Les, Dennis Pegram had a heart attack, 52 years old, 52 years old, in great shape, very health conscious. He had a heart attack, and they're rushing him up to the hospital. We were coming down. We met the ambulance in Pembine, going north, no lights and no siren. I said, honey, Dennis is home. We got her brother and Sister-in-law dropped off. We turned around and back up. Dennis was with the Lord. And that cop from Chicago, Dennis had poured into him during that week. 
loved him. He said, Dennis fell. He was dead at my feet. I, he said, I think he died. He was going up for a, a, a rebound or a layup. And he said, I think he died in midair, to be honest. He says, because when I, he landed by my feet, I felt he said, I'd been to many accidents, many tragic scenes. He said, this one I couldn't handle. He said, why did that guy love me so much? He said, my own father didn't love me like he did. I said, well, he was burdened for your soul. But he said, he was gone before he hit the floor. Charlene and I went up, went to Dickinson Hospital, pulled in, and one of the kids was running up into the hill, one or two of them just screaming, couldn't believe, Dad's gone. Charlene and I went along the line with those kids, and we hugged and cried, and, and finally I got to Ina, Dennis's wife. She hugged me as she did Charlene. And I said, Ina, we are so sorry. Totally, totally unexpected. While I was holding her, she said, you know what? The last thing Dennis and I did when you ended chapel this morning before we dismissed the lunch, he said, Ina, come over here. They slid closer to each other. She put his arm around me. said, Ina, let's pray and thank God for the time he's given us, expecting at least another 30 years together of marriage. So let's just thank God they were going off the previous night message of time. And he said, let's just bow and thank God for the time that he's given us. She said, that's the very last thing that we did together is prayed with Dennis thanking time. Now really, that time is gone. Time was gone. 52 years old. Basically a specimen of health. Very conscious eater. Jogged regularly. I changed my Friday night message to end the camp and I preached on the topic of death. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. They rest from their labors and their works do follow them. You cannot stand in a coffin and say he's in a better place or she is in a better place unless they die in the Lord. I said God knew he was going to take Dennis Pegram home. And God knew he was going to take Dennis Pegram home through Dunbar, Wisconsin. And the reason is because there are folks in here that he was passionate for that you come to know the Lord. And he gave you the word and he bore his soul. And you're sitting here and you know who you are. God knew he was going to take Dennis home. But Dennis wanted to deliver his message of love to you. And I said, I'm not going to give an invitation. Charlene and I are going to be available to talk. A lady came weeping right out of her seat, came weeping right at the altar and accepted the Lord there at the altar. We were mingling. I went and talked to the Nanook of the North, the big guy, and he said, Dennis loved me. I said, have you accepted Christ? And he talked about, no. He said, my, my dad taught me, you don't take anything for nothing. And if you don't work for it, you don't take it. And he said, I can't accept a free gift of salvation. I can't. I could have tricked him into praying a, a sinner's prayer. But I said, well, until you come to the point, sir, and you realize you cannot pay your way, it is a gift that you have to reach out and accept. Did not accept the Lord. 11 o'clock that night, Charlene went back to the house. We did live on campus because she walked home across the field to our house. And I was leaving by the coffee shop, our daily grind. And out of the shadows, this policeman and his wife came and said, do you have time to talk? Young, very good looking policeman and very pretty wife. We have time to talk. I knocked. They were had locked up the daily grind for the night, and I knocked. And the workers were in there. They unlocked the door. I said, "I need to, I need to get in the back end here to talk to this couple." But 11:30 that night, they opened their hearts to the Lord. And a guy said, 
You know, I thought, what a dumb thing to do. But he said, Monday night after that first Monday night service, I realized this is different. The Lord was working on him those days. I talked to an evangelist who was at that church in Illinois a year later. He said, I stopped by that church. That couple got saved. He said, man, they are growing like bad weeds. A change. Others got saved. One year later, I'm not preaching that week, but I love to go over for the others preaching. And and, uh, they, and Friday night especially, because I felt real peace about going there for the ice cream uh, feed that they had. I always had peace about that for some reason. And um, so I thought, I'm going to go. And one of the counselors that week came and took me, even though I was not speaking that week, said, there's a man in the in the chapel that wants to talk to you. He's sitting by himself in there. And I went in the chapel, and there alone was Nanook of the North. One year later, I slid up by him. I said, what's, what's happening? And he grabbed me. He said, what a fool I was to wait. A year later, he opened his heart to Christ, the witness of Dennis Pegram, before he got his promotion. What a way to go. Tragic, heartache, a layman. Somebody told me they were at his viewing, he said, I got in line at 7 o'clock, and at 11, I still was not up to the coffin. There were so many thousand people who came to the viewing. You know why? Because that businessman opened his mouth to speak to every person that he could regarding the gospel, even though he was a very successful CPA. Makes us wonder when we evaluate time. You know, we assume, we assume we have a long time left, but we do not have the guarantee that we have a long time left. Dwell with them according to knowledge. That next phrase, according to knowledge, not only live with her, learn about her, the tool of thinking. And I will be done very quickly here. But we learn about each other. That requires thinking. You know, it's a, of such a blessing to get up in the morning and not think about yourself. You think about your mate. How can I serve? How I cannot wake up in the morning thinking, about me. Isn't it a blessing to wake up thinking about your mate? We were, I think it was our 59th, wasn't that our 59th anniversary, and we went to that steak place where we had steak and lobster and their specialty. And I said, we're celebrating 59th. It's not yet. It's two more days. But I said, I'm afraid in two days we'll forget that we did this. So we'll actually do it on our, you know how it is when you get to that stage. You don't want to take a chance like that. And we go in restaurants, and I said, you allow us to share a meal? Yes, I said, we take turns with the teeth, but we would appreciate sharing. Some of them really get a kick out of that. Some of the old duffers, they're switching teeth off, you know. Okay, you take, that's, you, you grab that now. I don't know, maybe I'm a little bit off. I'm not sure. But we have fun being a little off, at least. But I'll get up sometime, and Charlene will be in the kitchen fixing something, and I'll make the bed up, in a way. It's very hypocritical. But it's a statement that I think about her. And I, I get that and then I go like this to make it look level and the final jerk. And it's all level, but don't look underneath too much. It might not be pretty, but I'll have to go somewhere and I'll get a text. And I'll see my phone buzz when I'm driving. And, and little that was sweet. So I knew she, she got in there and saw my mess. But thank my effort nonetheless. Those little things. I love making her special coffee in the morning and having that. I put the right sweeteners in there and then I put one squirt of, what do you call it, on it. And uh, I'll take it in there. What's that? 
where you put the puffy stuff comes out. And, huh? Whipped cream, yeah. <laughs> Reminds me of that guy. I, I, with names, I'm terrible. I took that Sam Carnegie course and that didn't help. Oh, guys, I thought that was Dale Carnegie. I said, oh, yeah, Dale, that's right, it was Dale. <laughs> oh, Sam, I'll never forget, he taught me how to remember names. But you know what? Wake up, think. You know, when you come to the house of God, don't go thinking about you. I've had people not go to church. I don't get anything out of it. I said, you go to get something? I go to give something. And I said, when I go to church determining to give myself to people and be sensitive to their needs, I said, I'm always blessed. Even if one verse is read. Some people say, I didn't get fed. I, I told one guy, you don't have a spoon at home? I said, what in the world? If you don't have a Bible, I can see that. So you're not even feeding yourself. Learn to think others' needs. What a blessing. What I like to see the operation here, not perfection, no. But you know what? You can see you're thinking about each other. Thinking, how can I lift? How can I do? I saw our brother with the horses today. I told Charlie, what a sacrifice. I bet he's walked five miles already. You know why? Because he wasn't. He didn't come thinking about himself. You know he came? How can I be a blessing? How many kids got to ride on a horse? And uh, that's special. I've never been into horses. Charlene was major. But I, I just somehow another on the old work horses on Grandpa's farm, when I was small, they used to put me up and hanging on to it. It was never fun to me. It was always a terror. So I never kind of got out of that. And then another thing, nobody ever adjusted my stirrups the right way. So that isn't fun either. But what I saw today... And the two girls, circle after circle, circle after circle after circle after circle. You know what? This, I'm not thinking about me. I loaded those horses. I got the trailer hooked up. I pulled it over here. Why? So somebody could be blessed. Isn't that a, isn't that a blessing? And others of you, same thing. Bringing food in. Those kind of things. You learn about each other. And I understand we men, we don't, and I'm almost done. We don't understand women. Completely. When we used to have our bus ministry, my brother Earl and I used to work on a bus as I came in. And, you know, you have grease underneath the bus and grease and going in to get a bite to eat. And went in the bathroom, Charlene had a, a, a soap dish of blue soap balls on the back of the commode. And uh, so I took one of those. I said, honey, these things don't have been lather. She said, you're not supposed to eat, uh, uh, to use them. You're not supposed to use them. I said, what are they in the bathroom for? Well, another lady explained it, and I still accept it by faith. You know what those blue soap balls were doing? Pulling blue out of the wallpaper. I said, what? Go in there. Come on, blue, you can do it. And I had no idea that that was going on in that bathroom, in the quiet place of the house. Come on, blue. Then a lady said, it does the same thing with rugs, by faith. So we love you by faith in that regard. Well, you know I'm being a little bit facetious, but you get the point. We need to learn and then love her, giving honor unto her. Dwell, know, give honor, love, the tool of tenderness. There's time, there's thinking, there's tenderness. And sometimes us men are not real specialists at that. I did a men's retreat and I said, you know, on the way home, why don't you stop to show your wife a tenderness? Stop and get her some uh, some roses or buy a card. And one guy said, well, she'll she'll think I, I got the idea here. I said, why do you think she paid your way to go? She didn't expect you to come home the way you left. But isn't it something? Flowers, 
a note, and then as unto the weaker vessel, lead her. The tool of being a testimony. You know what we need to do with each other? Spend time, think about each other, be tender with one another, because there are a lot of people sitting in our midst who are hurting badly because life has not been a bed of roses for them. But then when you come to realize that God loves you with such a perfect love, you, you will, your heart will be so overwhelmed by that fact. But it helps for all of us to be a testimony of what we need to be. And then, last of all, I'm adding one from Proverbs. Laugh with her. This is a tool of being tickled. Laughter is good like medicine. I was doing a men's retreat and, and I made the statement, I, I don't trust men who can't laugh. They're not holy so much as they're bitter. One guy came up to me afterwards. He said, "I don't agree with you." And I, I almost said, "No kidding, Tonto," because I was, I was speaking, and they were. He was looking at me. I said, "Proverbs says it. I, I don't know anything about medicine, but Proverbs says it's like a medicine. Laughter is like a medicine. I believe there's a healing element in it." Well, he did not buy that at all. Well, some months later, I got a letter from him with an article from Detroit, one of Detroit papers on the medical section about what they believe laughter will bring a healing, a healer to our system. And he had a little note in the corner, you were right. Well, no, Proverbs is right. And you know what? It's so good to laugh. There are times it's not appropriate at all to laugh. It's not appropriate. But there are other times when it's very appropriate, but a lot of people are so angry that they won't laugh. And they can't laugh. And I do think that it helps in a great, great way for us to bring laughter to system in our lives. One guy told me, I was out in California, and he said, boy, you tell a lot of jokes. I said, I do. I said, I knew I'd been there eight days. I knew I had not told one joke. I said, tell me one that I told. Oh, I said, I can't think of one. I said, of course you can. I didn't tell any. He said, we were laughing. I said, I described life. And put a slight exaggeration to reality, and it's the funniest thing going. I don't have to tell jokes. I tell life with a slight exaggeration. And that tickles your funny bone, because you can all relate to those things. Now, some of you have been through some deep waters. Some of you have deep scars. Some of you have deep hurts. And you don't see laughter in anything. But as you begin to grow, and as you begin to enjoy the Lord, and as you begin, there are some things that will lift your spirits so much. In a home, my mom and dad, for some reason, they never divorced. For uh, some reason, they felt an obligation to argue every week. If they missed a week, maybe twice the next week. And so we, my brother Earl and I, would would kind of, laughter became a survival tool for us. They'd be arguing, my brother Earl would holler through the register that you, you forgot about so-and-so and... and uh, when Dad would pronounce a, mispronounce the Bible, like when Simmons would snake by the, Samson was snake by that, and Earl said, you mean uh, Samson? Simmons, Samson, same thing, he'd holler back. <laughs> well, they were in the middle of an argument. Earl was trying to correct his Bible pronunciations. and Well, we, we, it was kind of a survival thing for us. And I told Charlene, I said, you know, when I meet a pastor with a real sense of humor, I can guarantee it. He might be from a real tough background. And in every case that I've probed in, I say, tell me about your back. Tell me your story. And I find there's a tremendous amount of hurt. But they turned it into, when they came to know the Lord, they turned it into a very different, completely tool of being tickled. Well, live together. Learn together. Love together. Lead together. And laugh together. These are simple tools that will build relationships. And you have such an awesome opportunity here to fellowship. You still have another day.
tonight and most of tomorrow. You're gathering things up and you're getting things packed and your kids don't want to leave and the parents, in a way, don't want to. But reality comes. Get with it. The mountain is starting to peak and you're heading down back to where the demon-possessed teens are. And so, you know the Sermon on the Mount. So, I mean, I'm in the Mount of Transfiguration. Enjoy one another. The time you have left, the days you have left, and um, the hours together. Because we don't know. We don't know how long. Let's bow our heads together. I want you to just thank the Lord once your head bowed. Thank you, Father, for the time you've given us. Some of you whose hearts are hurting, you can't, you can't totally feel free in your spirit. Others are very, very thankful with a lot of gratitude. Others of you will grow into that. We know the heartaches that come in real life. That's why I wrote the book, A New Normal, because we know how to turn that over to the Lord. Right there, say, Lord, thank you. Help me never, never to take one minute for granted. But thank you for the time you give us that we might enjoy what you've given to us. Father, we we commit these families to you, these young people to you, those with heartaches to you, knowing that you care more than we could ever realize. Thank you for loving us in Jesus' name.